SBS Radio. SBS, a world of difference. You're with NITV Radio, on mobile, online and on radio. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land NITV broadcasts from, the Kamaragal people of the Gringai Nation and their elders, past and present. We also acknowledge all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander tribes and clans we broadcast to, from the mountains to the plains, from the desert to the sea, from freshwater to saltwater. Good afternoon. You're listening to NITV Radio and my name is Sharka Pechová and it's my great pleasure being your host today. Coming up in the show, we have interview brought to us by NITV Radio's Bertrand Tungandame. He will talk about yawning circles that are bridging the gap for Aboriginal Australians with traumatic brain injury. We will also hear updates on this week's election campaign. Ready are also stories from NITV's flagship program, The Point. Former detainees of the Dondale Detention Centre in the Northern Territory are getting compensation for the treatment they were subjected to. Some of them were as young as 10. But first, here are the news for today, Friday, May 13th, 2022. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. Inquest into the death in custody of an Aboriginal woman in Melbourne continues. One of Australia's most senior didgeridoo player died. And First Nations art and design is in the spotlight at this year's Australian Fashion Week. A Melbourne prison supervisor says an Aboriginal woman, Veronica Nelson, faced a disgusting behaviour from officers in the days leading up to her death in custody. AAP reports that while the 37 years old Veronica screamed out in pain and made a distressing call after call for help, the only nurse in her Melbourne prison wing was watching a movie. Veronica died alone in her cell at the Dame Phyllis Frost Center in January 2020, after more than a dozen requests, including for more anti-nausea medication, after she vomited up an early dose. At an inquest into her death, prison supervisor Leanne Reed described the response by prison officers as disgusting behavior. Ms. Reed admitted the level of health care available to the women at the prison was poor. The inquest continues. Indigenous artworks will be showcased along Barangaro's waterfront in Sydney when the Vivid Art Festival returns to the city this year after previous programs were disrupted by COVID-19 restrictions. More than 90 individual artworks will be displayed along a 160-metre walkthrough experience for pedestrians along Sydney's landmark waterfront walkway. The pieces have been produced by First Nations students enrolled in the Solid Grant program in Western Sydney. Simon McGarth, CEO of Crown Sydney, says the program 
the program is a groundbreaking opportunity for Indigenous artists. It provides a vehicle for the wonderful talent that we have in our First Nations artists and it also suitably tells the story of place and we sit here nestled in the heart of Barangaroo which is most significant to New South Wales Aboriginal communities but I think in fact it's significant to the whole of Australia and so our First Nations artists help tell that story. The Vivid Festival will begin on the 27th of May. And to the election now. NITV's political correspondent Sarah Collard reports from Leichhardt in Queensland, which is a home to the second highest indigenous population, and the First Nation vote is shaping up to be a powerful factor. Cairns is home to more than 80% of the Leichhardt electorate, and here on the ground, people are trying to make their voices heard. Daniel Billy wants more done to protect his island home under threat from a rapidly changing climate. Daniel Billy is a Warabir Island resident. He told NITV that people can feel the impacts of the climate change every day, yet they feel neglected by the government. We've seen the impact over the years, um, how it has um, affected our island. Um, climate change we see daily. Um, it's, it's the cry of... Um, of our elders, um, of the traditional owners um, that has been um, for years for the survival of our island home. He feels his voice isn't being heard by those in power. feel neglected by the government because um, we're far away from everyone and um, yeah, feeling neglected is is um, this is why we are fighting. Um, we gather together um, to build a strong voice um, to the government um, to take action. Sarah Collard spoke to local people about the burning issues. Jobs, cost of living and housing pressures all high on the agenda for voters. People like us don't get noticed enough. Living cost is a big issue, yes, like some parents don't have jobs. The big issue is, is um, employment. Employment is no problem and housing. Trevor Tim, also known as Trendy Tim, has hosted national talkback for more than a decade. He says many are feeling the squeeze. People are, are struggling in regard to um, uh, finances and, and jobs. I mean, you can survive. Um, um, well, in order to survive, you, can, you need two people to be working in the household to survive. Kabayu Tamu is a Warabir Island resident. He told NITV what the community needs. I just hope that um, whoever gets in, someone you know, can show a lot more um, leadership in this area and uh, a lot more support from the grassroots levels, you know, solutions from um, people at the grassroots level and all the way um, up through um, to the top. I hope that action will match promises made on the election trail. Tributes are flowing in for an internationally renowned master of the didgeridoo who passed away earlier this week. NITV has been granted permission by the man's family to use his name. NITV News, Natalie Ahmad has more. Mr Girawiwi was one of the nation's most senior traditional custodians of the instrument. The senior Golpul lawman from northeast Arnhem Land was a spiritual keeper of the Yiddiki and his skills in making the instrument were also unmatched. 
Mr Girawiwi toured around the world and collaborated with many artists, including Australian musician Gautier. Mr Girawiwi is also considered the Yidiki an instrument of healing and a cross-cultural tool of communication. Enter fashion. First Nations Art and Design is in the spotlight at this year's Australian Fashion Week, which is currently underway on Gadigal Country in Sydney. Five of the country's deadliest up-and-coming designers unveiled their latest resort and swimwear collections in a spectacular runway show, which is also featuring high-profile models, including Samantha Harris, Magdalena Maimuru and Nathan McGuire. Each of the collections on show was inspired by the designer's personal connection to country, with the name From River to Sea. It's the second time the Indigenous Showcase has been held as a part of Fashion Week, providing a global platform for the up-and-coming creatives. Leandra Gai Kamangu is a founder of Leandra Swim. I mean, it's huge. It's a great opportunity for you know, Indigenous designers to be on this, you know, big platform. It's an international platform and to be seen by the world, the industry and let them know that Indigenous design is here and we're here to stay. So it's, yeah, it's exciting. The night featured also pop sensation Jessica Mauboy, who performed her latest single, Automatic. Honestly, being here at the Indigenous, you know, fashion project, like it's just been blown my mind to be honest. Um, to have been asked to, you know, have this opportunity to perform a new song, but also just serenade and lift the spirit of what's been happening and, you know, the history, the stories that have been told tonight. Um, just seeing the incredible work and, and the determination and the passion, I just feel super, super, super proud <laughs> to be here tonight. Residents across Queensland are on high alert as storms continue to rake havoc across the southeast of the state. Evacuation sirens sounded at Grantham, west of Brisbane, this morning, with people in all low-lying areas of the valley urged to get themselves to safety, as Lockyer Creek rapidly rises to a major flood level. Brisbane City Council has suspended ferry services and opened sandbagging stations with residents in flood-prone areas being advised to move their cars to higher ground. Fire and Emergency Services Swiftwater teams have conducted seven rescues across southern Queensland so far and responded to more than 900 calls for assistance as severe storms bring intense rainfall, flash flooding and potential landslides to southern Queensland. And overseas now. Top diplomats from the group of seven nations are gathering in northern Germany to discuss Russia's war against Ukraine and its global impact on food and energy prices. German Foreign Minister Annalena Baerbock is hosting the meeting at Weissenhaus, a resort in Germany's Baltic seacoast, northeast of Hamburg. She says there is a global food crisis because shipments of staple crops from Ukraine, a major agricultural exporter, are stuck in the country. That's why we are discussing how the grain blockade exerted by Russia can be unblocked, how we can get the grain out to the world. 
That is why we are of course discussing how we can continue to support Ukraine, but also how we can help the poorest people in the world in this situation, because it is not just about grain, but also about energy supply worldwide. Scientists have provided a first look at what they call the gentle giant lurking at the center of our Milky Way galaxy. They have unveiled an image of a massive black hole known as Sagittarius A, an object that is a staggering 4 million times the mass of our Sun. The image for, was captured by an international consortium of more than 300 researchers from 80 institutions using the Event Horizon Telescope, which is a collection of eight synchronized radio telescopes. UCLA astronomer Andrea Gies says technology advancements made the image possible. To do these techniques, which are effectively very long baseline interferometry at these shorter wavelengths that are necessary to capture this kind of um, image is truly a technical achievement. I mean, it's really brilliant. And to sports now. Rafael Nadal has been knocked out of the Italian Open. The 20 times major winner was beaten 1-6-7-5-6-2 by Canadian Denis Shapovalov in the last 16 of the tournament. After having a solid start but then struggling physically towards the end of the contest, Nadal has told reporters that he understands his performance has raised doubts over his fitness ahead of the upcoming French Open, which he has won a record 13 times. I am a, a player living with, uh, with an injury, that's it. No, 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 I, it's nothing new. No, it's something that uh, is there and uh, unfortunately uh, my day by day is difficult, honestly. And let's have a look at today's weather. Broome mostly sunny and the tops of 31 degrees, Perth shower or 2 and 19, Adelaide partly cloudy and 22, Melbourne possible, possible shower and 19 degrees, Hobart partly cloudy and 17 degrees, Albert Wodonga can expect a shower or 2 with the tops of 21, Kimbra showers easing and 20 degrees, Sydney rain periods easing to showers and the tops of 22. Brisbane, rain and possible heavy falls and 23 degrees. Townsville today is partly cloudy with the tops of 30. Cairns, possible shower and 29 degrees. Darwin, partly cloudy and 33. Alice Springs today is sunny with the tops of 28. And Torres Strait Islands today are partly cloudy with showers and a chance of a thunderstorm and the tops of 30. You're listening to NITV Radio. Coming up in the program, we will hear about compensation for former detainees of the Dondale Detention Center. And before we jump to the story by Bertrand Tungandama about traumatic brain injury and supportive yawning circles, we will hear our first song today. So a lot to look forward to in this show. Join NITV Radio on Facebook. Okay. 
You're listening to NITV Radio and it's time for the first song today. Here is Cheers Dollar and Steven Pigram. Cheers Dollar by Steven Pigram. Now to yarning circles which are bridging the gap for Aboriginal Australians with traumatic brain injury. Bertrand Tungandame spoke to Kiem Nungar Consultancy Services Director and Nungar woman Kerry Colgate, who runs the Armadale Yarning Circle. In an Australian first and Edith Cowan University research project has established in community stroke and brain injury support groups run by and catering to Aboriginal Australians. And I'm joined now on NITV Radio by Kerry Collegate, who runs the Amidel Yearning Cycle, and these yearning cycles are designed to bridge the gap for Aboriginal Australians with traumatic brain injury. Before we look into this project and the yearning cycles and what you're doing, the yearning cycles, Kerry, first of all, welcome to NITV Radio. Thank you. Now, we're used to having yearning cycles in many settings, but when it comes to Dealing with a brain injury, this is an Australian first. That's right, that's right, it certainly is. Um, we have, you know, a few um, Aboriginal people in our community, in our local communities, uh, that are accessing our Yarning Circles group, which is really fantastic because it gives them an opportunity to reconnect, you know, not only our own people, but reconnect uh, with, with anybody on, on any social type of level that sort of introduces them back into, you know, a healthy sort of society to be able to sort of live, in, you know, live life again because they've just had so many significant sort of disruption that's happened in their life. We want to be able to sort of be inclusive and get people sort of reconnecting and living the healthy and best life that they can. And how often do they meet and uh, how are these uh, groups organised? Is it by groups of um, 10, 20, 15 participants? How does it work? So our groups meet weekly. So we do meet every Wednesday uh, from 10 to 1. We meet at the Champion Centre down in Armidale and we're really, really lucky to have the Champion Centre because it is a predominantly widely used centre by the Aboriginal or Noongar community down in Armidale. With that, we're very fortunate to also have access to uh, a suite of other sort of community uh, complementary service providers that hot desk out of there. Uh, for example, we can have financial counselling, we have access to Centrelink uh, and a number of other sort of social sort of services. Importantly, we also have an elders group that sits or locates themselves there uh, on a Wednesday. So it's absolutely enlightening, I guess, for the fact that they can come into our group, they share their wisdom, they share their stories, they help connect uh, the kinship groups together. And also then they just we, we do a number of sort of activities that are empowering and educational and fun. So, um, you know, that sort of represent themselves and who they are and where they come from. Sounds like uh, it's a holistic approach where you bring in different services to actually yeah. deal with uh, people who might be experiencing multiple <laughs> and complex issues. But when it comes to brain injury, what kind of specific activities uh, do you have uh, going on? There are no sort of set uh, activities, but we do try and do a targeted approach, I guess, when it comes to those with, those, with, with that particular condition. So 
we, we quite often um, have come up against communication uh, challenges and barriers for many. So it's really important to, to sort of identify healthy ways, I guess, and, and not to shame our mob out, but identify ways where we can enable them to express themselves you know, whether that be through writing or reading or through pictures or even just through art, it, art itself. You know, for example, like the paintings, um, you know, that obviously represent themselves, as I mentioned earlier. It can be sort of challenging for us to do, to, to facilitate that, pro, that process. But the other really lucky thing that we have too is access to some speech pathologists, given that the project is in partnership with ECU, we can sort of tap into um, some of the speech pathologists from there to support any sort of guidance or advice on best how to support people with communication difficulties. So it's run by Aboriginal people, for Aboriginal people. Why yep. is it important to have uh, this culturally safe uh, program? I think it's really important, given that, you know, we know historically or the, the, the data suggests or says that we we tend not to sort of tap into too much of our therapy or rehabilitation services. I see this, you know, yarning circles as another opportunity to sort of provide that therapy, to provide any uh, recovery-focused approach to support positive social and emotional well-being through the journey of, of their changed sort of circumstances. Given that we have been doing this for two years now, we can see that people are returning to yarning circles every week, and that could be due to a number of reasons. I think the environment's got a huge thing to do with it, but it's also that that sense of belonging that people um, have. So I think that sort of, again, enhances all of their, um, their well-being around sort of doing, you know, living their best life, pretty much. Yeah, and their families are also invited to take part in the rehabilitation process. So families and carers are always uh, welcome to come along. Um, again, we see you know, all supports that work alongside Aboriginal people with a brain injury and or stroke are always craving for information or any sort of advice around how best to support their loved ones uh, with a brain injury and stroke. Again, you know, it's not only a disruption in the individual's life, but it's also a disruption in the whole family life. So there's a lot of changes for everybody. So I think, you know, having these types of supports in the community where we can be who we are as Aboriginal people, it's a plus, it's a win-win for us all. Yeah, but for someone like an elderly man who could be coming from a very traditional setting um, where they have very strong values, how do you cater for individuals like that? Yeah, no, that's a really good question because we actually do have some people there um, that are up country. You know, I know that they are very grateful to have Yarni Circles uh, here for them to attend to because most of the time a lot of uh, people are down here alone. They don't have family. You know, most of their family are back at home where they've come from. So it's really, really, really important for them to have some sort of cultural grounds to connect on. We need to be very mindful of a lot of those that diversity. As we know, as Aboriginal people, there's a lot of diversity amongst ourselves. We have to be considerate of some sort of protocols or processes people may, uh, you know, may still be sort of, you know, using or following. So it's just a matter of sitting down and having a yarn and finding out a little bit about each other and then ensuring that we're putting in the right supports to provide, you know, to, to sort of support that cultural way of being. 
Yeah, it sounds like a really holistic approach and a really a caring one for people who've experienced really quite a significant injury and traumatic brain injury is something not to be mucked around with. It's very serious. But is this a, can it be replicated in other settings, in other cultures, in other right across the country? It's certainly something that can be fostered, um, you know, throughout the whole the whole country. I believe it's something that's we started out meeting in parks. Uh, you know, the group obviously grew. The group became quite diverse in terms of, you know, abilities, different abilities and needs. So it's just a matter of sort of identifying a, a, a really good sort of safe place that accommodates to all, um, and being able to sort of provide a. Uh, you know, a well, a well-run and healthy service where you know we can get the best out of everybody to achieve you know any sort of goals that they're also looking at wanting to achieve as well. So that's just as important too. Now, Kerry Colligate, anything you would like to add? We haven't covered that's really important because I've got so many questions I could keep asking <laughs> and going forever. But maybe something. Look, no, important. I think I think you know if if this can be like I was saying fostered across the whole country, it would be absolutely fantastic to see it. This it it, it enables people's. Um, capacity I guess to to be empowered and um, to live uh, you know a full independent life what we're seeing a lot is the people you know we 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 are supported by a lot of services and other you know types of intervention we kind of lose sight of that independence and we come we can become quite dependent on a lot of other people and, and organizations as such so for me it's really important you know and it's a cultural obligation I guess for me to to build people's cultural capacity to live their full life um, and ensure that they have a voice throughout that process. So, yeah, it's good. No, thank you so much. It sounds like a culturally appropriate program that should be replicated, in my view, right across the country. Well, Kerry Colligate, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you for having me, Bertram. Have a good day. That was NITV Radio's Bertram Tungandame talking to Kerry Colligate, Kiem Nungar Consultancy Services Director. You're listening to NITV Radio. Coming up in the show, we will hear about compensations for former Dundale detainees. We also have an election campaign update. But first, here's our second song for today. An alternative rock band from Brisbane, The Medics. Here's their song, Wake Up, a powerful song released in 2015. The medics and wake up. The Northern Territory government is being forced to pay millions of dollars in compensation for more than a thousand of former detainees mistreated in juvenile detention. As Lindy Karen reports for NITV's flagship program The Point, former detainees are hoping for the compensation to help them heal from the pain and trauma they suffered in custody. Some of them were as young as 10. Jermaine Louis has terrible memories of Don Dale. He was just 10 years old when he was first locked up and spent too many years inside the now notorious facility. A lot of time, I can't remember to be honest. Yeah, most of my childhood. 
He spent lengthy periods in isolation, in a small cell in what was known as the BMU, or Behavioural Management Unit. I was kept there longer than two weeks, longer than that, yeah. From a troubled childhood, Jermaine says it wasn't a place for rehabilitation, just brutal punishment. It didn't matter what classification you was, um, um, reminded, sentence, they treated you exactly the same. Jermaine is now part of a successful class action against the Northern Territory Government that argued detainees were routinely abused and mistreated and that they should be compensated. Today he's meeting with Morris Blackburn lawyer Kerry Palmer to get an update on the case. The law firm won a $35 million settlement for young people mistreated in detention between August 2006 and November 2017. We're getting ready to send out a letter to you to tell you about how much compensation you'll get in the class action. Kerry Palmer says the payments are an acknowledgement of the pain and suffering caused in detention. People have been compensated in this class action for the rough treatment that they were received from officers, from too much handcuffing and too much strip searching, and for time they were held in isolation cells on their own for long periods of time. We're here to talk about the Northern Territory Youth Justice class action and what will happen next with paying people's compensation. Kerry Palmer and her team have been travelling across the Territory to meet with former detainees. The law firm estimates around 1,200 people would be eligible for compensation, but only half of those have signed up so far. It's really important that they're compensated for that treatment because they have that treatment was illegal. We're saying in the case the treatment was illegal. The young people being in youth detention are there because they're ordered by the court to be there. That's the punishment for their crimes. And 70% of people who were in youth detention were not even convicted of any crime. But then to have this extra mistreatment of them was, we say, illegal and they should be compensated for it. Alex Danich from Lutheran Care is sitting down with one of the clients looking at different options available. So you could look at uh, budgeting sessions so we can work out your different monies coming and going. So the law firm has also arranged financial counselling sessions to help people prepare and plan for their future. Alex Danich explained to NITV what services are available. We do also have a lot of class members who have reached out um, with particular goals they'd like to start and we're happy to work alongside them with uh, not only uh, working strategies and providing information to succeed in these financial goals but also working alongside other networking um, services to uh, make that happen. It's hoped the landmark compensation case will bring about change in the way young people are treated in detention. This class action has cost the Northern Territory Government and the Northern Territory people $35 million. That money would have been way better spent fixing the system in the first place before anyone was harmed by it, rather than now, after all that harm's been done. For Jermaine, he's hoping to put the trauma of detention behind him 
and he's excited about a new job on a commercial fishing boat. I just recently started working with a mate who got me onto the boats. Um, so we just go for mackerel, tuna and shark. He's hoping the historic case he's been part of will lead to significant change. I think it was harsh. Um, we, none of us deserved it. Um, but I'm grateful not to be in there. And I do look back and I think what I went through wasn't right for us, you know, but there's nothing I can do now. Make sure it doesn't happen to the next generation that go into the same system. The anti-government plans to put a $15 cap on the damages for mistreatment in correctional facilities in a move that's designed to limit future legal payouts. The proposed changes have been roundly condemned by Aboriginal justice groups. Visit sbs.com.au slash NITV radio. Into election now. After the final formal leaders debate, the 2022 election campaign is nearing the home stretch. Labour is calling on the coalition to answer for the $500,000 paid to a formal Liberal staffer, while Federal, Tr Federal Treasurer John Frydenberg has denounced Labour's economic policy. Brooke Young reports for SBS News. The minimum wage, the cost of living, housing and an anti-corruption commission all featured heavily in the third and final leaders' debate. It also involved the Prime Minister's announcement that Alan Tudge, currently stood down, would return to the education portfolio if the coalition is re-elected. The idea that we don't know who the education minister... Alan Tudge... It will be Alan Tudge. Al He's it will be Alan Tudge. Alan has advised after that the he election... Would, yes, he would be happy to come clear. back and serve in the ministry, and I welcome that. Okay. Well, people have been looking for him during this what, campaign. What he hasn't been seen. Be. The Liberal MP took leave from his ministerial role last year after an investigation was launched into allegations by his former staffer, Rochelle Miller, that he was emotionally and on one occasion physically abusive during a consensual affair. Mr Tudge strenuously denies the allegations and although the investigation did not find that he had breached ministerial standards, he decided not to return to the front bench. However, News Limited is now reporting that Mr Tudge is explicitly named multiple times in legal correspondence relating to the $500,000 settlement, specifically in a 22-page letter. The correspondence challenges the Prime Minister's statements that he had not been privy to details of the payout and his insistence that he would have been told if it involved a Cabinet Minister. The only advice that I have on this matter is that it hadn't been settled. That was my last advice. And if there was any matter there that went to the conduct of any minister, any minister at all, that uh, related to uh, uh, the ministerial standards, then I would be advised of that. And, I've been, that and I have been advised of, of no such matters um, that would uh, require my, my attention in relation to the ministerial standards. Meanwhile, the coalition's election campaign continues with an economic flavour. Labor is backing a lift of the minimum wage by 5.1%, in line with inflation. But Treasurer Josh Frydenberg says opposition leader Anthony Albanese doesn't understand the economy. It will be for the Independent Fair Work Commission to make their determination. Now this was the Labor Party's position until the leader of the opposition had another thought bubble, where suddenly he made a commitment to a 5.1% increase. People know that Anthony Albanese is simply not up to it. They know he doesn't understand the economy or indeed the consequences 
of the so-called positions he is taking. Mr Albanese has defended his endorsement of the wage increase, but hasn't promised Labor would make a formal submission to the Fair Work Commission. What I have said consistently, and I'll say each and every day, is that if the Fair Work Commission that operates independently of government, independently of government, makes a decision to not cut real wages and to keep up with the cost of living, that is something that I would welcome and I'd welcome it absolutely. Mr Albanese was campaigning from an oil refinery in Gladstone, the first time he's visited regional Queensland since the campaign began. With him is Ed Husick, opposition member for industry and innovation, as Labor pitches an Australian-made future to regional voters. Mr Husick says Labor would invest $100 million to create a battery manufacturing precinct in the state. Australia should be powered by Australian-made batteries. It's good for jobs, good for industries, good for households, good for the environment. But up until this point, we've missed so much economic opportunity. We dig up all the resources, we send it off offshore, we pay enormous prices to get that all back, and we should be able to match local demand for energy storage systems if we get our act together. Meanwhile, Scott Morrison is in Tasmania promising a $55 million mental health partnership between the federal and Tasmanian governments. He made the announcement in the electorate of Bass in northern Tasmania, the most marginal government health seat in the country. Liberal MP Bridget Archer holds the seat by just a 0.4%. She says the extra money is worth it to deter suicides, an issue with which she says she has family experience we can do more to try and reduce the suicide rate. Um, again, with suicide, um, something that I've uh, unfortunate personal experience of losing my stepsister to suicide, and I have seen the impact that suicide has had on small communities like mine across Tasmania as well. Um, if we can stop one person from taking their life, then these um, services will be worth it. Meanwhile, former Prime Minister Tony Abbott is urging Liberal Party members on Sydney's northern beaches to support the coalition's controversial candidate for his old seat of Warringah, Catherine Deves. There are media reports of ill feeling amongst party members in the electorate, with moderates unhappy with Miss Deves' comments on transgender children and conservatives unhappy at the way she was pre-selected. But Mr Abbott says people have to put their reservations aside for the greater good. The more I see of Catherine Deves, the more impressed I am with her courage, with her common sense, with her decency and with, quite frankly, her capacity to win this seat back for the Liberal Party. Uh, we've got to do this to get behind her for our community, for our party, for our country and to help give the Morrison government the victory that our country needs. SBS.com.au slash NITV radio. And it's time for our last song today, Electric Fields and their song Catastrophe. And Electric Fields are bringing us to the end of the show today. You are listening to NITV Radio and it was my great pleasure being your host today. My name is Sharka Pechová. You can catch up for the latest stories on our webpage sbs.com.au slash NITV Radio. Have a nice weekend, stay safe and we will be back with you on Monday. All of these memories run in circles I gotta get up of this carousel 
Want to hear more stories like this? Listen on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from.